following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. The purpose of this lecture is to discuss the utility of dreams. The purpose. The role. The dangers. Some of the obstacles as well as the principles by which we can understand a very deep part of our life. And I'll be going through some practices that we can use so that we can better understand our dreams our relationship to the unconscious, as well as the most spiritual principles that we carry within. It's good to reflect on what dreams are for, to understand why we dream. We've mentioned many times that dreams are the gateway to the divine. And oftentimes our dreams will be a form of instruction, spiritual guidance, and even encouragement from our spirit, wisdom from our internal truth, knowledge about how to work practically in ourselves so that we have a deeper relationship with the divine. And on this path of self-exploration, we get encouragement, we get visions, we get insights, primarily about how to live our life with wisdom. And oftentimes, in dreams, we can have celebrations, victories over hardship in which our innermost spirit, what we call the being, the divine, encourages, enlightens us, and inspires us to keep us moving forward in our path. We also find that we can be warned about critical issues, dangers, This is the meaning of prophecy, of omens throughout diverse cultures, whereby we are instructed about how to walk effectively in life, to be warned about the future. We also get insight into psychological problems, states of mind that are particularly uh, difficult. Enlightenment about how we ourselves 
may be impeding our progress, our spiritual growth. We also find practical solutions. Dreams can show us how to solve problems in our daily life because our dreams are a reflection of what we need to do physically. They're not separate. They're integrated. And then we also talk in this teaching about past lives. Remembering past existences, whether from Hinduism or Buddhism, as well as many other spiritual traditions. And in this way, by understanding where we came from, why we are here, we learn how to change fundamentally. By knowing our past states of being, we understand our present situation. This is why the Talmud in the Jewish tradition stated, a dream not interpreted is like a letter unread. It is a message. It is a guidance. So how does divinity communicate? Just like any teacher in a school, divinity teaches us in accordance with our experiences, our background knowledge, our life experiences, situations we've been through, the people we know, the associates we work with, our family members, places and environments where we grew up. This explains why some people dream about their home what's familiar, or family members. These are not necessarily literal representations of those places. Instead, they can be symbols. They teach us something about us psychologically, our state of mind. So if you dream of a brother or sister, a family member, it can reference someone who is a brother or sister to you in your spiritual work. Parents can represent the eternal divine, the divine masculine, the divine feminine, parts of us that want to elevate our way of being. And even though we may dream of other people and places and things, in truth, these represent something about us. So it's good not to take dreams literally. Instead, they are archetypes. And an archetype is a blueprint, a sketch, a symbol, a representation of something deeper. And what's interesting about the way we experience dreams is that they're not only something that we witness, but we also participate with. We are both the actor and the director of a film. In this dynamic, in this clear perception, we come to understand that these visions are a very different quality of mind. They're not an egotistical type of perception, fear, resentment, anger, nightmares. Instead, the quality is something subtle, refined, and spiritual, something pure. These visions lack no type of subjectivity. There's no flaw in it. It's not trapped in a type of condition of mind, a negative emotion. These qualities elevate our heart. They inspire us. And they come from a, the being, 
the divine, our inner divinity. They manifest in what we call the superior mind and the superior emotional center that we discussed in a previous lecture about our human constitution, the human machine. These centers of our psychology only know how to transmit that which is spiritual. And so the quality of that state is very unique. It's something that we have to taste again and again to recognize and to become familiar with. The question becomes, how do I understand my dreams? To really understand the language of the divine, we have to expand our vocabulary. This means to study scripture, study the texts of the great masters of humanity, whether of Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Sufism, Jainism. All these texts were written from beings who were visionaries. They transmitted a knowledge that is so transcendent that it escapes culture because it's universal. However, they use their particular language, their talents, their skills, and in accordance with the idiosyncrasy of the people they taught, they gave scripture. And all these scriptures are written in the language of dreams. This is why, for example, the Bible or the Quran or many texts which are very impactful seem to be very perhaps contradictory. Some people look at the Bible and say, this doesn't make sense with this, but they're not reading it properly. These texts are a form of dream language. They're not literal. They are representations. And if we want to understand our dreams more, it's good to understand what these great beings taught to know the consensus and the diversity of symbols that we may experience in our own dreams. We also talk about the language of dreams as the Kabbalah. This is traditionally associated with Judaism. But the reality is that this diagram, this tree of life, with its 10 spheres, represents levels of being, the multidimensionality of who we are, our full potential, whether from the most abstract at the top, the most divine, or to the most dense and material below, our physical existence. This image is universal. It's in every religion, but not represented in this way. Just as Newton did not invent gravity, but merely formulated a theory, likewise, Jewish culture documented this truth in accordance with the Hebrew language and idiosyncrasy. But it's useful to study this type of graphic in relation to ourselves, and it's very profound. It's codified. It's a way that we can map our experiences, who we are, where we are, where we're going. Kabbalah comes from the Hebrew kabel, which means to receive. It is knowledge that we receive directly from God. It is mystical experience. 
It is a profound vision. It is insight. It is a psychological, mystical, and archetypal grammar. The language of dreams, the symbols of dreams, are representations of deeper truths. Something about us that we need to understand. They relate to our mental, emotional, and spiritual environment. They teach us about our mind. I'm sure we've all had a dream that brought us here. Something that provoked our great unease, perhaps our longing, or perhaps gave us insight into or questions about why we are here and what we are doing. This mystical language is something that we understand in our soul. We call it the essence, the consciousness, the spark of the divine that could fully develop into a master, an enlightened one. This language or this knowledge is not intellectual. It's not of the mind. It's a very different apparatus. The intellect is useful in its place, but it can trap us. We have to understand and awaken perception that is beyond our mind and even our cultural habits, our personality, our tastes, our preferences. Consciousness is something deeper. It's beyond our personality. This language is non-literal. It can represent our life experiences and it can teach us something about what we need to do in our spiritual life. These dreams or this language is multidimensional. There isn't just one meaning to a dream. In fact, many dreams have a deep code that have layers and layers, which over the years we can begin to verify more and more and understand. And the logic of dreams is nonlinear. It doesn't go from A to B to C. The trajectory and the connections are very diverse, which is why we need a lot of intuition to understand them. This tree of life is very deep and we study it so that we know and understand our experiences. Which is why Salman Vior, the founder of the modern Gnostic tradition stated, the objective of studying the Kabbalah is to be skilled for work in the internal worlds. One who does not comprehend remains confused in the internal worlds. Kabbalah is the basis in order to understand the language of these worlds. Another question people ask is, who can interpret my dreams? This is something we get quite a lot on our website, as well as during lectures or on internet forums. But there's a problem when someone, or we try to rely on someone to interpret our dreams for us. The problem is, our dreams are unique to us. They are particular to our own mind, our being. And as instructors or teachers, we don't necessarily know the full depth of a person, of each individual soul. Many of us are not enlightened enough for that. Dreams and dream interpretation is also limited to the person, the instructor or the student. And if someone were to give a very accurate interpretation of someone's dream, you would need to know the person's life, their mind, their habits, their defects, their level of being, their consciousness, even their inner divinity. 
Those things are unique to all of us. And the only one who should be a master of that is you. We have to master our own understanding of who we are. Relying on someone to interpret our dreams presents more obstacles than it solves. Obviously, in some contexts, there are symbols that can be helpful to understand, that in a general sense can provide some baseline. But the real depth and magic of dream interpretation occurs when we access that knowledge for ourselves. And we have to understand that all instructors are at different levels of being. Some are more well-developed spiritually, some are not. That's just the reality. We should not learn to rely on other people for our understanding of things, because the point of this path is to be a master, self-mastery. And if we rely on others to teach us who we are, they become the master of us. So it's good to change that dynamic and not be too dependent. A real master will be silent. I know one, I knew one instructor, actually my teacher, who knew uh, Samalan Vior, the founder of this tradition, who, as you've, if you studied his books, you see that he has a lot of experiences about these types of things. When my instructor asked him to interpret a dream for him, Samalan Vior just remained silent. Meaning, go home and meditate. I know the answer, but you need to figure it out. If we rely on our own inner intuition, we gain confidence, faith, and strength in our own capabilities. It's good to remember that. But obviously, it's easy to rely on a dictionary. We often go to books to explain our experiences, to identify and get some sense of what's going on. But another problem with this type of guidance or this type of book is that oftentimes symbols are multifaceted. They're not singular in meaning. Symbols have many dimensions of insights into them. For example, a cross. We know not only within Christianity, but within many religions. And there are many layers and insights into what a cross symbolizes. A book can say a cross means this. Well, that's just one level of interpretation. It doesn't apply to the whole spectrum of what you perceived and what you experienced. It's also important to remember that each symbol is contextual. They're interdependent. They're not isolated phenomena. One symbol, like a cross, can relate to another symbol in a dream. Therefore, you have a relationship there. Things are augmented. The symbols are enhanced because it's not just isolated by itself, but there's something else added to it. There's a relationship there. Likewise, the question becomes, how do we interact with the symbol? And I think this is one of the more important points because if you dream of a cross, are you carrying it? Is it weighing you down? Is it on your head? Is it on a temple? Is it within a temple, within a dream? these uh, symbols and our interactions with them are really significant. That determines what they mean. And this also relates to the psychological mood of our experiences because our emotional reaction is the key. It's actually the doorway to understanding what the symbols mean because the world of dreams is the world of emotions. 
And if we analyze our intuition, how we feel about the dream, we can better understand what's going on. Also, only individuals can be intuitive. A book is limited. Books can't be flexible. They have one, perhaps, explanation for things, or maybe two or three, if we're lucky. But an individual has a whole range of potential to interpret. And also, the dream dictionaries, often of our contemporary age, are limited to the level of being of their authors. So not all people who write dream dictionary books are enlightened. This is why we rely on scripture, because those beings who taught those traditions were from the heights. So it's good to rely on high quality material to be able to understand what's going on. So this brings us to the next question. How do we know that a dream is true? They have to relate to our physical life, our conscious states, our emotions, our mind, situations in life. There has to be a connection. Otherwise, it's fantasy. It's desire. It's an illusion, a mirage. But when you see the symbols relate to something going on, perhaps at your work, your job, situations and people that you may know, then the aha moment, the spark, you see the connection. There's something going on that, that you have to look out for in your day. Personally, for me, I tend to have a lot of dreams about my job because I have a difficult one. But we get clues about how to navigate situations. And then if you're very conscious and alert, you can see this is it. You know without having to think about it. And we've already explained how dreams operate on multiple levels. So you may have a dream that means something one day, but also gathers more significance throughout the years. You see that there's deeper profundities and layers that only manifest themselves when we have more life experience. And then we see, this is what my divinity was telling me. So as someone of states in his book, Sexology, the Basis of Endocrinology and Criminology, the methods or the attitude we need to interpret dreams. Symbols must be analyzed coldly, without superstition, maliciousness, mistrust, pride, vanity, fanaticism, prejudgment, preconceptions, hatred, envy, greed, jealousy, etc. This is because if we want to understand our dreams properly, we have to understand who in us is trying to interpret. Give me an odd question. We've talked extensively about this graphic, the human machine, with its five centers. The intellect, where we process thought. Emotions, where we experience sentiment and feeling. Our motor center, relating to movement. Our instinctual center, related to digestion, unconscious appetites, instinct, reflexes, and also our sexual drives, too. Through these centers is how we manifest life. We experience life. And as we've talked many times before, we have a wide range of conscious experience, whether from negative emotions and thoughts to the most elevated and spiritual. We divide or we 
categorize those types of perception as the soul and the essence, the consciousness, and the ego, defects, the sense of I or myself that is perhaps selfish. If we want to interpret dreams properly, we have to question, is it my fear that wants this dream to mean one thing? Or is it my pride that wants to think that I'm somehow special? If we dream of some being like a god, and I'm sure we've all known situations or movements where there's a guru teaching that they are somehow a prophet who might have had certain experiences, and yet their actions contradict their declarations. So it's, we have to be very careful with our analysis that we're not fearful or interpreting a dream because of our resentment towards someone. We'll explain why a little bit more. But the thing to think about is that when we interpret, we're trying to render clear or explicit from the old French interpreter to explain or translate from the Latin interpretare to explain, expound, understand from interpres, agent, translator. We know in a situation in life that if we have an argument, our anger may be interpreting everything through anger. And later we come to realize we didn't see the situation for what it is. We have an agent or multiple agents in us that perhaps don't see life clearly. And so because we have tendencies to make mistakes or not see reality or situations for what they are, we have to take our perceptions with a grain of salt to be critical, but also to be patient in understanding our own psychology. This brings us to the topic of mythomania in relation to dreams. This term comes from the Sanskrit to make a myth of manas. Manas in Sanskrit means mind. There are dangers to spiritual visions, not because they are inherently harmful, but because we may interpret things mistakenly. So in this image, we see the foot of God standing above the horizon and an individual person standing on the earth. It's true that we may have an experience that is very spiritual, authentic, and brilliant. We may have an experience about our own inner divinity. Maybe we see ourselves as some kind of great being or prophet, a master. And the dream, in a sense, could be reflecting something about your own inner divinity, not our personality, not our name, our culture, our body, but our spirit. The spirit is sacred. The spirit is a master. But the question is, are we fully connected with that? That's the question. You can have a very authentic experience where you see your inner God. And yet, if we are not careful, we come back to our body from an astral projection and think, I'm done. I've done the work. And many people have fooled themselves and also have fooled many people because they believe in a lie. It's the desire to be something one is not. It's the misinterpretation of an authentic spiritual experience. But also, it's possible that that experience could be a belief or an illusion or a mirage. Maybe it's just a projection of our own mind, our desire that wants to be something that it is not. Mythomania means to make a myth of ourselves, to tell a narrative, 
that somehow I am great, or my past life I was John the Baptist or Mary Magdalene, and to build a big story. This happens with a lot of people. It's to believe that our ego is divine. And the thing to remember is that our being, our spirit, is what is real, not us. We're temporary. We are passing through this life. But the eternal is what it is. But in this work, we can learn to eliminate pride, develop humility, and learn to express that truth perfectly. But that takes a lot of discipline. This is why in our studies of dream interpretation, we study ethics. We study spiritual culture. And we practice restraint. I have an image here of Don Quixote riding across Spain with a full moon. Miguel Cervantes, who wrote Don Quixote, was an initiate. He knew this knowledge. And he taught the danger about speaking too openly about one's visions. Because in the story of this old knight going on a quest, seeing many things, having many visions, and yet everyone around him saw him as a lunatic. In fact, I think Miguel Cervantes even got himself into trouble for writing Don Quixote. Might have been with the Inquisition. Now, dreams in themselves are very intimate to the person. You may have a dream about, say, another person. And yet the thing to remember is that by speaking openly about such experiences, we could harm them. Maybe they're not ready to hear that, or more importantly, maybe they're not meant to know. Should be kept private, even if the experience was objective. Many people have damaged spiritual groups because of gossip of this type. Having a dream and then openly accusing so-and-so is a, is a sorcerer or a witch or was a bad person, was evil, and create a lot of conflict and divide communities. This is a very terrible crime of a severe magnitude, which is why we have to really be careful with our dreams. The actions in dreams could even be past life memories. Maybe we see our spouse or someone we love committing a crime in a dream, adultery, but that could be a past life memory. In this life, this person may not be even capable of hurting a fly. And so having that dream, some people have been accused, even by their partners. You're unfaithful. I know many cases of this. Relationships ending in spiritual groups. We also have to remember that these experiences can also just be projections of our own mind. It could be our own jealousy. It could be our own lust, our fear, our desires, our habits. It can be like this image. The moon is a symbol of our ego in mystical language within the dream language. We say in a spiritual sense, the moon is a cadaver. It's dead, has no life of its own. It's only animated by the sun. And as a metaphor, our inner divinity is like the sun. But our hatred, our pride and anger, these are like the moon. They borrow and trap the light of the spirit and don't allow it to fully manifest. 
And this moon represents danger for us because oftentimes we know even from science how the moon is a mechanical entity. It regulates many qualities and forces in nature. And oftentimes our habits and desires just happen. So we have to be very careful with our speech. We should learn to develop what's called an intellectual spiritual culture. Study the religious documents about right behavior, about compassion, about selflessness, about patience. Because without these qualities, we can end up like Don Quixote or even slandering other people. It's important to show decency and respect. But also, more importantly, speaking about our experiences can build pride. Like I'm a great instructor or missionary or student or spiritual person. We have to be humble. That light does not originate from us like the moon. It comes from the sun. We are but the vehicle for that. So there are three stages for dream interpretation. We show this image of the tree of life again because this maps out our multidimensional being. All the different dimensions from the most dense to the most spiritual. Now, when we have dreams within any type of these spheres, it's important to think about these three principles. Salman Vior stated the following, imagination, inspiration, and intuition are the three obligatory ways of initiation. So initiation is our spiritual work to begin a new type of life, to learn to take dreams seriously, to learn to understand their connection to us, to guide our spiritual work. We'll talk about what these three are. We've explained that imagination has been known by a technical term in French, clairvoyance, clear vision. We call it imagination. That term clairvoyance doesn't, was invented to confuse people because there were a group of French mystics who wanted to keep their teaching secret, so they used the term clairvoyance to make it sound technical, like it's something complicated that only a few have. The truth is, if you can imagine an apple right now, you have imagination. You can see spiritually. But the problem is that it's not fully developed. But when we do develop our full potential, we gain access to this tree of life. We see our dreams with greater lucidity, with greater color and depth. We start off by developing consciousness. This is positive. A lucid dream, an awakened state in which you are aware of being out of your body is conscious clairvoyance, conscious imagination. But there are levels to this that lead up to, say, supra-consciousness, which is the consciousness of a god, a master who can perceive all these dimensions all at once, can let their body fall asleep, and they can go out and immediately access anything in the moment, at will. That is a level of a prophet. But we begin where we're at. We often have to deal with our negative types of perceptions. Subconsciousness, unconsciousness, infraconsciousness. We know these states, say perhaps in our fears, intense anger, and even our most frightening nightmares, which is the bottom. But the important thing is, whenever we start to have dreams, it's a good sign that we're starting to see whether they're positive or negative. 
the important thing is that we at least begin to recognize that there is a reality beyond our terrestrial existence, that there's something more. If you don't see at first, you can't understand. So first we develop our imagination, which will get practices for you to do how to do this. But after having the perception of a dream, the next point becomes inspiration. Inspiration is recognizing a symbol. It's when you know in your heart with a lot of joy, this is a message from my inner being. This comes from God. Now let me seek to understand it. This explains the definition of inspiration in its original sense. The immediate influence of God or a God or our inner divinity and perhaps a spiritual master who may be teaching us in the world of dreams. It comes from the Latin inspirare, to breathe upon. We all know the saying to have a breath of fresh air, something insightful. We're rejuvenated, we're inspired. This is an important step because when you know that you've received a symbol, the next task is to understand it. And this is intuition, the comprehension. You know what the symbol means. It's insight, you directly perceive it and you immediately understand its significance. Now, these three stages are not necessarily plateaus. They can happen all at once. They can happen over the course of many years. Maybe you had a dream or were inspired by a symbol in your childhood that only now you're beginning to understand. It happens like that. But with meditation and different practices, we learn in the moment how to understand it immediately. So one practice that you can use to intuit or understand your dreams is a mantra. Now, mantras are sacred sounds. They help us to vibrate energy within our physiology, our mind, our heart, our spirit. And by prolonging these vowels and pronouncing them with a lot of faith or intention, immersing yourself into the sound, you learn to activate qualities of your psyche that are dormant. It also helps us to train our mind because our mind, the intellect is the primary obstacle as we've explained previously. This is why someone of yours stated the following in dream yoga. The mind is like a wild horse and we have to learn to control it with the whip of willpower. No one can enter the higher initiations with the mind. Only the heart can lead us to higher levels because the heart has a wonderful power if we develop it wisely. Intuition can open the entrance so that we can enter consciously into the world of Morpheus, the world of dreams. So you take the sounds, the vowels, and you prolong it like this. Onro. I know the trilling can be difficult for people especially if you're not familiar with or don't speak Spanish, but I'm sure there's YouTube videos you can find if you want to learn how to roll and trill the R's. But if you can't do it, it's okay. The important thing is that your consciousness is immersed in the sound and that you just sink into it. You swim within the energy. And you can do that for about an hour is good. That'll help you not only be lucid within dreams, but also how to intuit and understand. Because the heart chakra, as we see in this image, is the center of our being. 
So there are seven chakras, seven flowers or senses of our astral vehicle. These chakras have been known by the names of Muladhara, Svaristana, Manipura, Anahata, Vishuddha, Ajna, and Saharsara. But the Christians call this the seven churches from the book of Revelation. Ephesus from the bottom going up, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Philadelphia, I'm sorry, uh, Sardis, and then Philadelphia, and then Laodicea. This is why in that enigmatic scripture, the book of Revelation, we find many injunctions that are symbolic. It's perhaps the most difficult book in the Christian canon to interpret because that language is dreamlike. It's symbolic. It's pure vision. And it's clothed in terrestrial language to hide a principle or truth. Now, another exercise you can use to develop your ability to interpret dreams is to work with this throat chakra, Vishuddha, or the Church of Sardis. Now, we know that speech is powerful. Our words manifest our intention, our psychology. And it is through that center in which the word, what we call in Greek the logos, the divine, expresses. So this is why mantra, again, is very powerful in a spiritual sense. And why in the book of Revelations it states, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Because divinity speaks to our consciousness when those flowers are activated, when the churches and the chakras are spinning, when we work with this energy, so that we can learn to perceive more and also understand more. So the third chakra is very powerful for that too. There's a mantra called Aum Shiva Tum E, which vibrates in the throat. It's pronounced like this. Aum. Shiva Different vowels vibrate with different centers, but that mantra helps to strengthen the throat chakra. And it may be with time you begin to understand and intuit more about what your dreams mean. So let's actually get into the laws of interpretation. There are four. These laws are eternal, just as the language of the spirit is eternal. Scriptures and dreams can be interpreted through philosophical analogies, through contrary analogies, through correspondences, and through numerology. The first is philosophical analogies. Look at an image of Raphael's The School of Athens. Philosophy has traditionally been studied as a belief or intellectual knowledge about human experience. In its original sense, philosophy refers to philos sophia, which in Greek means love of wisdom. Real love of wisdom applies to the spirit, love of the divine. Because sophia, if you're familiar with Gnostic texts, the Gnostic gospels, is a representation of the soul 
that ascends from this physical world up to the spiritual heights. But Sophia can also be a representation of our inner being because the divine is wisdom. Now, we study philosophical analogies because in dreams, different representations or symbols can mean different things. They have associations. A is B or C is D. An example could be a book. Literally a book in its objective sense is a collection of paper with ink on it. But to us, to our terrestrial way of being, a book is a gateway. It's a form of knowledge. It encodes profound wisdom. And we know that by going to university and by studying different books or works of literature, for example, that we're gaining insight perhaps into our human nature, culture, life experiences, language. So there's a whole dimension that opens up even within a text. But objectively, a book is just paper. Instead, to our understanding of things, this bo a book is uh, analogous to something else. And if you dream of books or a book, it can reference the need to study and understand more, to practice more spiritually. Because divinity can be showing us that there's more for you to understand from the book of your own life. And that a book perhaps is a philosophical analogy of high wisdom as represented by Raphael in this painting. If we have Plato walking with Aristotle, Plato is pointing towards the heavens. Aristotle is debating him or trying to learn from him. Symbols. Different symbols have philosophies attached to them, which is why in different religious scriptures, the emblems of different faiths encode a lot of knowledge. They embody entire traditions. So it's good to study what those traditions are referencing and what they mean. We also have the law of contrary analogies. And we included this image of Adam and Eve being tempted in the Garden of Eden, consuming the forbidden fruit, and then being subsequently expelled by the cherubim with a sword of fire. Now, dreams don't necessarily always correlate A with B. In fact, some dreams can be opposites. A is not B. Now, an example would be, as in this story, Adam and Eve thought that by consuming the fruit from the tree of knowledge, that they would have wisdom. But the result, according to the biblical narrative, was the opposite, is disastrous. So some dreams can be like this. A dream of being humiliated, being spat upon, persecuted, condemned, hated, betrayed, can in fact mean the opposite. Our spiritual life is going to go very well. This happens because in the spiritual work, when we begin to change ourselves, divinity places necessary impediments or, or ordeals for us to conquer. Otherwise, we can't grow. We can't develop if we're not challenged. A good teacher or a good instructor, a good uh, or a prophet would basically push the individual to their maximum so that by facing hardship and ordeals voluntarily, they grow. And so some dreams are like that. They're the opposite. Sometimes having a dream laughing with a friend could mean the end of the relationship, primarily because that 
Interaction could be superficial. There's nothing deep there. It's vain. Dreaming about receiving excrement, to be a little bit graphic, could mean that we're going to earn a lot of money in the physical world. Because in the objective spiritual sense, money is transitory. It's passing. It goes through human systems, literally. So, it's interesting. Opposites. Very profound. We also have the law of correspondences. Which is why we study, again, religious iconography. We see here Joseph and Mary above the Christ child and the nativity of Jesus. To see a child in a dream could correspond to many deep things, can reference us. Our soul in the beginning of this work is a child, is learning to develop, is learning and growing. And likewise, we see the divine couple, the divine parents, our divine father, our inner spirit, and our divine mother, referenced in some traditions as the Kundalini within Hinduism. Many names for different truths. And so different symbols can correspond to different things. Maybe a dream about a bull knocking, destroying, breaking our home. It could relate to someone in the physical world who's angry with us. It's a correspondence. Or, again, like dreaming about your brother or sister. It could be someone in a spiritual work who you're working with, who you know. These represent different things. Perhaps most interesting for, for me, but also for a lot of people too, is the law of numerology, the eternal tarot. Numbers are the study of Kabbalah in the traditional Jewish sense. But these numbers are not literal, again, representations, but they represent truths, principles. We study the 22 major arcana of the sacred tarot because each arcanum, which is the singular form of the plural arcana represent laws of nature, laws of being. They explain the steps that the soul takes from the very beginning to the end. And if you receive a number in a dream, it's because whatever situation in life you're going through relates to one of these cards. And if you study the wisdom of each arcanum, you can gain insight about what you need to do to resolve it. This is why Salman Vyar stated in the Major Mysteries, Astral projections and Kabbalah are an integral whole. It is necessary to study the 22 major arcana and to learn them by memory in order to understand the esoteric language of the initiates in the astral plane. We provided a course on our website called The Eternal Tarot of Alchemy and Kabbalah, which you can study if you really want to go in depth, not only into the tarot cards themselves, but also the Hebrew letters, the zodiac, and different scriptures. So... Each card, while it's vested in Egyptian iconography, is merely representing for us deeper principles. It's not really, literally limited to Egyptian culture, but we use these cards as a form of concrete instruction for these insights. If you really want to go deeper into dream analysis, you can study the book of Genesis and the book of Daniel, primarily Chapters 37, 38, 39 through uh, 41 of Genesis, where you learn about the story of Joseph, where he gets himself into trouble because he's interpreting dreams, but speaking openly about them. But also you see a method 
representing those four laws, where he relies on numerology, correspondences, contrary and philosophical analogies. It's very beautiful and deep. And also the book of Daniel teaches many truths about how to interpret dreams, how to become like a prophet. Maybe not to tell other people what dreams mean, again, but to understand our own experiences. This is why Salman Vira mentions an igneous rose to refer to those texts because they're very profound. They teach us how to overcome adversity. Joseph became a slave in Egypt. And through his power of interpreting dreams, became second in command of Pharaoh. Likewise, Daniel, who was put through trials and tribulations, managed to become a figure of authority, a master, facing the lion's den, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, to quote Shakespeare, by taking arms against a sea of troubles, opposing and ending them. Some dreams are also prophetic and predictive, which is why Samanvira states in Dream Yoga, during conscious astral travel, we can be taken to the future to see things, actions, projects, or processes that will take place at some undetermined time. These kinds of dreams can also be given based on opposite analogies, numerology, associations, etc. Any prophecy or announcement can, be especially, can especially occur on Wednesdays between 9 p.m. and 3 a.m. So often those dreams that happen right before we wake up those are going to be the most immediate, have the most immediate impact. Something's going to happen that day related to the dream. Maybe if it's a little earlier in the day or earlier in the night, could be something related in a couple, uh, something that might happen in a couple of years even. But right when you wake up, when it's most fresh, those tend to have the most immediate relevance. Some things to think about when you're interpreting dreams include the psychological impression. What is our mood from the dream? What's the impact? How do we feel when we dream the dream? Were we anxious? Were we angry? Were we terrified? Were we happy? That's going to tell us more about what's going to happen in that experience than anything, almost. That'll give you a clue as to whether it's authentic or not. Also, pay attention to the time, numbers, and dates in dreams because those numbers, the Kabbalah, add up. So if you dream about multiple numbers, you have to take those numbers into consideration individually. See what they represent in terms of the, the tarot, but also add the numbers together and arrive to a final sum because those numbers are conjunctive, but also independent. Those numbers will tell you what your dream means. You also should pay attention to the actual hour of the dream, which is what we just mentioned. It's also good to consider the date and time the dream event will occur. So if you're told about something will happen in the future and they give you numbers, pay attention to what those numbers represent. Not literal, but it'll teach you a bit about how it might play out. Colors and sounds are also very significant. Lighter, happier colors tend to be much more pleasant, more positive, whereas dark, clouded colors, blacks, dense colors, agitated colors often represent more negative emotions. And also, we have to consider whatever situations and circumstances we're experiencing in our physical life. Because if the dream doesn't match up with the experience, we have to discard it as a projection. And also, there are three principles to consider when we are studying ourselves. We 
we often say in this teaching, we practice three uh, factors in order to be genuinely spiritual. Death, birth, sacrifice. That which is negative has to die in ourselves if we want to be born to the Spirit. That which is impure, corrupt, insufficient and weak, debilitating and difficult has to be transcended. There has to be a form of death to perhaps pride in order for humility to be born or death to anger in order for sweetness, compassion to emerge. Birth represents the awakening soul, the virtues of the soul, astral projections, awakenings, conscious travels, understanding internal experiences. And likewise, as we see Jesus of Nazareth helping the poor, we should learn to sacrifice for humanity. In whatever form we're capable, whatever our skills are, we should be of benefit to our communities. Because these three factors, transforming conditions of mind, giving birth to the soul, and also being better people. Divinity will approach us and give you experiences to teach you to do more, to be more useful and helpful and a strong link in the chain of humanity. These factors help us to be more understanding of our own dreams. Because if you give light, to others, divinity gives you light. It's a law of nature. Birth, death, but also to overcome the inertia of perhaps not wanting to face the difficulties. Instead, the sacrifice gets us through the effort. Our next lecture will be focused on analyzing dreams through meditation. Now, I want to mention this briefly because with all this intellectual knowledge about interpreting dreams, we also have to consider that in reality, the real wisdom of dream interpretation occurs when we meditate. Relying on books can be helpful in the beginning, but we have to leave it behind for something more effective. By meditating, by silencing our mind peacefully, by understanding ourselves and learning how to concentrate and imagine our experiences, we learn to extract what is most essential. This type of understanding comes to us when we let our body rest, harness our energies, calm our emotions, relax our mind, and direct our willpower, our concentration, and activate our imagination to visualize the dream itself that we experience and concentrate on it and ask our inner divinity to teach us what we need to know. That's meditation in a nutshell. And when we meditate, we also learn to access these states of this tree of life. By suspending our senses in this physical world, we go higher. And we can access knowledge that is really deep. You can actually relive the dream itself by meditating on it. Go back to the experience. See what's hidden there and understand more. Because meditation is a state of being. It's not necessarily a practice in itself, but it... In a conventional sense, we say it is. But meditation is when we put behind our personality, our mind, ourselves.
and the soul witnesses the truth. This is why, uh, to conclude, I'd like to relate what Paul of Tarsus says in the book of Corinthians in relation to dreams, which some people obviously may not make the connection, but I would like to. He's, em- he's emphasizing how the purpose of dreams and understanding prophecy is for a larger work and that having dreams is a wonderful and beautiful thing, but it's useless if we don't apply the message. Love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which was, is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. Also I am known. Dreams can give you partial knowledge. A dream has a beginning and an end. So we shouldn't be attached to experiences. Prophecies come and go. What matters is the context for this type of work so that by developing love and working on ourselves, we spiritually mature. Again, like the image of a child. The child becomes a man, a human being, a perfect individual. And therefore, in the beginning, we see darkly. We may not see dreams so clearly, but with time and practice, it improves. Some resources that we have include Tarot and Kabla by Samal and Vior, as well as his book, Dream Yoga. Highly recommend that you study them. Learn the sacred arcana of the Tarot and learn different practices for how to astral project. They go hand in hand. This is why Swami Shivananda wrote in The Philosophy of Dreams, every dream presentation has a meaning. A dream is like a letter written in an unknown language. To a man who does not know Chinese, a letter written in that language is meaningless scroll, is a meaningless scroll. But to one who knows that language, it is full of most valuable information. These texts will teach you how to interpret dreams very deeply. The Tarot and the Kabbalah and Dream Yoga. We always end this lecture series with practices. Every day, practice self-observation and the key of soul from moment to moment. Question the validity of what you perceive. Vocalize the mantra Onro or Om Shivatum E for one hour daily. With Onro, visualize a brilliant sun in your heart that emanates love for all beings. With Om Shivatum E, visualize a light vibrating and illuminating your throat chakra. Upon awakening, concentrate upon, visualize, and review your dreams with the mantras Raum Gaum, which we explained in a previous lecture. Recall what you perceived externally and internally. Question the validity of what you perceived. Then, pick a fact to investigate. Meditate on that fact. Do not speculate, theorize, or intellectualize. And lastly, record your experiences in your spiritual diary. So some of you may not have been here for the former lectures, but if you listen to the, the series from the beginning, you'll get access to some of the other uh, mantras like Raum Gaum to help with remembering dreams and the practice of the key of soul, which we talked about in uh, our lecture called How to Lucid Dream. So at this point, 
I'd like to open up the floor to questions. So, do visions only appear or come to those who are on the path of initiation, or is it just anyone? Like, do they just come to just anybody, or do you have to be on the path? Just to come to you? If God only taught the initiates, we'd be in trouble. Because we're trying to become the initiates. So, out of compassion, divinity teaches us to turn us around. Which, again, if you read Paul of Tarsus' story, he was a persecutor of the Gnostics, the first Christians. It is said that he killed out of his zealousy for his Hebrew tradition. But by riding to Damascus, he was struck by lightning. Obviously, that's a symbol by receiving suddenly insight and in that he knew he was wrong. So that vision came to him even though he was a criminal. So all of us have our own mistakes to deal with. But out of compassion, divinity always reaches out. Sure. Uh, why some dreams you can experience the same dream several times, and why others just one time? What's why? Good question. I spent some time in my last lecture talking about that. It's called how to consciously return to dreams. Recurring dreams are oftentimes divinity's way of knocking on our head or knocking on the door, trying to get us to understand something really deeply. Now, recurring dreams and symbols are often the way divinity gets us to pay more attention. There's a lesson to be learned there. Whether it's a repeated situation, repeatedly meeting with a certain person, seeing a symbol, being in a certain place. We call that the initiator element or the unifier element of dreams because out of the chaos of dreams we begin to see a, a type of structure in order now that unifying element is the recurring dream symbol and when that dream repeats it's because we're getting a, a profound lesson so something needs to be learned there that we're perhaps not picking up on but also divinity gives those recurring dreams because if you recognize the symbol in the dream you can suddenly say, I'm awake. Now let me go learn something valuable on the astral plane. So it's a way to wake up. It's a way to be more cognizant, to remind us of that we're not in our physical bodies anymore. We're dreaming. It's a way to wake up. Yes? For those who are new, could you give a brief explanation of the key of soul, its purpose, and how that helps us with dreams? Sure. We practice an acronym, key of soul, subject, object, location. It's an awareness exercise. If you're walking down the street in Chicago, you pay attention to yourself. You observe, be mindful of your own mind, your states, your mood, your actions. If you're walking on the street, pay attention to yourself, but also be aware of the objects around you, cars, the sidewalk, people, or if we're in our own home, bookshelves, TV, whatever we own. Location is the recognition of where we're at. We're in Chicago, or we're in our house, or we're with a friend. Most times in life, 
we don't really pay attention to what's there. We're often dreaming. We could be walking down the street, maybe on our iPhones or devices, thinking of one thing, feeling another thing, and doing something completely different. Our attention and awareness is dispersed. It's not concentrated. It's not developed. And if you're not practicing mindfulness in the daytime, when you physically go to sleep and your body rests, you carry those same habits into the dream world. So we will have dreams. Perhaps we're doing miscellaneous things like in our daily life. But then we return to our body. We wake up and we say, I was dreaming. If you train yourself in the daytime to pay attention, to be mindful, to be awake, be aware of yourself, your objects around you and where you're at, suddenly you may find you're walking in some strange city. You're talking to people and they're talking to you in another language. And then you question, what is going on here? Why am I in Spain? I'm from Chicago. And therefore, you can suddenly realize, I'm in the astral world. How did I get here? I remember a few hours ago, I was dreaming. I went to bed. And so you begin to realize that you're no longer in the physical world. Now, there's a next step to that. You have to learn to physically, when you're questioning your environment, as you're walking down, say, physically down the streets of Chicago, you're being mindful and aware, you're observing yourself and your environment, you can start to question, am I dreaming or am I in my body? Take your finger, try to pull it, slightly. <laughs> and another thing you can do too is, well, actually, if you pull your finger in the dream world, your astral finger will stretch because astral matter, the astral body is ductile, it's elastic, it bends, it moves. It's not subjected to the physical laws of our world. And then if you see, if you see your finger stretch, you will uh, realize I'm dreaming. Now that may not work all the time because sometimes if we don't really, if we don't practice it with full intention to that it's gonna stretch, it may not happen. So therefore you might wake up and realize I miss an opportunity. But with time and practice, as you get familiar with how to question and how to actually pull your finger without hurting yourself, uh, it'll happen. And suddenly you'll realize we're not in Kansas anymore, says Dorothy. Now, um, one other th thing I'll mention too is physically you also can jump in the air. You can start try to see if you're going to float. Obviously, you don't want to do it in public too. So personally, I pull my finger because it's more discreet. If I'm at work and I'm really questioning, if I see something unusual going on, I question, that's, a, that's pretty strange. That is not the norm of my daily life. I'm going to question if I'm dreaming and then pull your finger. And then it may happen that you do that and suddenly you see that your finger stretches. You're in the dream world. You have to do the practice whenever you see something unusual. So do that so that you have some kind of material to question yourself on. And you can also try to jump in the air to see if you float. So obviously do that in private somewhere. You can jump up. And then if you're floating in the air in the astral plane, you know where you're at. So that's the key of soul. Yes. Um, what do you think about um, when we dream about people who already, or family members who have already passed away, and they give us messages 
that really came through. Is that really a connection or is it a spirit that took place and is representing them? I say follow your intuition, follow your heart. It can really be your family members or those who, who are deceased. In some cases, it could be your divine parents or if it's your parents or family members or siblings. Now, one thing that does come to mind is that, for me, is that a lot of people are not awake in the astral plane. Many people, they go through life, they live without developing their full potential. And so for when they die, they don't know that they're dead. So there is that situation too. And sometimes that might explain why some relatives would uh, speak to us. But at the same time, you have to really follow your intuition because only your heart is going to tell you and meditating on what they said and relating it to your experiences that you're going to know the connections. So I don't think there's really a blanket answer for that. It's really unique to the individual. Yes. I remember very few of my dreams. Is that because I'm not paying attention? Could be part of it. Now, in our last lecture, we talked about, uh, actually two lectures ago, we talked about how to remember dreams. Uh, one of the things we explained was how by not developing our consciousness and paying attention, we also have a deficient memory. But also there are techniques to help with the memory of the brain as well as the memory of the internal bodies. Because our inner constitution, such as our astral vehicle, our mind, our heart, have a type of material existence. And by learning to develop or practice good nutrition, especially, can help with physical memory, but also can help to establish the connection between the internal worlds and our physical world. We have different practices that you should study in uh, that lecture. It's on our website, How to Remember Dreams. Any other questions? Yes. Uh, what's going on spiritually when people are lucid dreaming? Is that what you mean by astral? Is that the same thing as astral dreaming? Uh, yes. Now, lucid dreaming is when you as a consciousness are free of any type of condition, any type of filter. What we call lucid, oftentimes lucid dreams in themselves are a augmentation of perception, where you gain a clarity of insight, but also awakening within the dream state. Now, the thing to remember is that being lucid in a dream won't necessarily mean that in some cases that we're fully objective. But uh, in the dream, you can have a clarity and expansiveness of awareness where you're seeing more. Now, astral travel occurs when you're in that state and you're consciously and intelligently navigating the internal worlds. So in that way, you understand what you're perceiving. You're willingly going at will where you want. Astral projection is a little different because that's the process in which you physically go to bed and your soul goes out into the internal worlds. But the way to make lucid dreams more consistent is again, practice mindfulness, practice meditation, so that you can also not only perceive the internal worlds, but also remember them. Any other questions? So I remember one time when I was in the astral world, I looked at myself and there was like a mirror in front of me. I could see that my face resembled the face I have physically. So I kept thinking like, say I died and I'm reborn into a new body. Uh, does the astral body, would that like get a new face? So so you're saying that you saw your face in a different way internally? 
No, no, it's the same. It was the same. The one I have right now, like I'm standing right now. Sure. But I was thinking, like, say, the coming future when I'm reborn somewhere else, with that, that does it always change the face of people? Like, yeah. So every time you get a new body, you're changing clothes. The soul's the same, carries its conditions and its history, its past, but at the same time, we take on new forms. So just as you change your shirt, you have a new face, new outfit. Any other questions? Yes. Uh, so is this, I mean, I don't know in anyone's experience, is this more like, a, like once you can do this, it's consistent? Or is it more like ebbs and flows kind of stuff? Depends on our effort. If you're disciplined, you can make it constant. But in a sense, there are times in our spiritual work in which even though we are being consistent with our practices, we may not see things. We call that the spiritual night. Beethoven beautifully depicted that in his Moonlight Sonata. So again, going back to the image of the PowerPoint with Don Quixote and the moon, we see that the moon is a symbol of suffering, of disillusionment and pain. Now, there are periods in which we have to go for our own good and benefit through periods in which we don't necessarily see what we want. But if we're persistent and we continue and develop our, maintain our uh, momentum, we get through. Any other questions? Sure. Um, yeah, so what about like, okay, if there's like numbers, I was talking about like numbers and symbols and things like the early use, like, not like some dreams I had, like, a, I feel like, like, you know, there's messages from loved ones, like we're looking at the time and then like, the numbers and, and like um, location and stuff like that. So I just wonder, like, would, would that be astral? Was that the, the lucid or would be a combination? Sure. So the astral dimension is where we dream. So in our first lecture in this earlier in this course, if you want to listen back, we talked about the dimensions themselves, where we actually experience dreams. Um, we typically dream in the fifth dimension, the astral plane. But there are other dimensions mapped out by that tree of life, including sixth dimension, seventh dimension, beyond. There are levels. So knowing where we are dreaming depends on understanding our current state, where we're at. Um, it's useful to study the Kabbalah, especially. It'll teach you how to understand where you're at. And the Tarot themselves will complement that understanding because they go hand in hand. You're welcome. Any other thoughts? The next lecture is going to be online. So if you all are familiar with Zoom during our COVID era, we'll be uh, working electronically. But then we should have a next in-person lecture in December about uh, navigating the internal worlds. So in this course, we've talked quite a bit, a lot about where we dream, why we dream, where we are and where we're going. But the last lecture after analyzing dreams, we'll also talk about all the different things that we can do in the astral world. Kind of turning back to the very original point of introduction, introducing this course. So we'll teach you all the ways to navigate when you're practically there and how to take advantage of the dream state. Any other final comments? Oh, thank you all for coming.
more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.